We're going to be going to Psalm 61 in our Bible study. Just keep chipping away and working our way through Psalms. So our summary statement for Psalm 61. Psalm 61 prays for the end of exile. By the coming king, being enthroned forever. We'll go over that one more time. Psalm 61 prays for the end of exile. By the coming king, being enthroned forever. Outline for this psalm is in two parts, just in half. Verses 1 to 4, prayer for refuge. Verses 5 to 8, prayer for the coming king. Go over that one more time. Verses 1 to 4, prayer for refuge. Verses 5 to 8, prayer for the coming king. All right, so we'll go to our observation. Psalm 61 was written by David, and that is ascribed to David in the superscription to the chief musician upon Negadah, a psalm of David. So it is directed there to the chief musician, to the choir master. Uh, upon Negadah, most likely refers to a stringed instrument of some type. Um, it is uh, the same as the word in the heading of Psalms 4 and 6, as well as 54 and 55 more recently. There's one Selah at the end of verse 4, and again divides the psalm very evenly into two parts. There's no occasion or heading in the text of the psalm. Um, there's some speculation that it could be when he was David was fleeing from Absalom, that it's possible. Um, 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 18, which talks about that when he had to flee from Jerusalem. Uh, because he does seem to be um, away. He's, he's away from home. He's described himself as being at the ends of the earth um, in the psalm. So that, that is certainly possible, but we don't have anything um, definite to go on for that. Psalm 61 would be categorized as a kingly or a royal psalm. It's not typically added to the royal psalms if you see lists of those. However, you do have prayer for the king in verses 6 to 7, which, in fact, David switches to the third person in that part of the psalm, um, making it certainly a, a kingly or a royal psalm. It does have other minor elements. Um, it does have some lament elements, um, some praise and thanksgiving elements, some just straight-up prayer psalm or petition psalm elements in it as well. 
Uh, Psalm 61 is continuing in this David Psalm group that we have been in for a little while. And so there's obvious connections to this group, Psalms 52 to 60. Um, there's also some connections um, that come out as we proceed in the Psalms that follow um, Psalm number 61. So as far as this David Psalm group, we see the exile theme um, that comes out in verse number two here. And that is a part of this um, group of Psalms. Um, there's the enemy adversary, even though the enemy is only mentioned once and isn't really featured in this Psalm, but is mentioned once in verse three. Uh, we do have a judgment theme, and that judgment theme comes through more with the strong emphasis on refuge that comes out in verses two to four. There's um, what I would call a subtle death and resurrection motif in this psalm. So um, verse two speaks of heart being overwhelmed, and we'll talk about that as we get on further. And then verses six to seven um, talk about the lengthening of days. This psalm also shares a number of connections with Psalm 2, which isn't surprising, um, given that it is a royal or, or kingly psalm. So you have references to the earth here in Psalm 2, uh, or I'm in verse 2, and in Psalm 2, verses 2, 8, and 10, you have that, that same term being used. Um, the word for trust in verse 4 is the same one used in Psalm 2 and verse 12. You have the giving of an inheritance, even though different words are used for heritage and inheritance. They they have similar meanings. They're expressing the same ideas. And the word for giving is actually the same here in verse 6 and in Psalm 2 verses, uh, I mean, sorry, here in verse 5 and Psalm 2 verse 8. Uh, we also have the word for king that is used here in verse 6 and is used in three times in Psalm 2. Um, two of those in reference to the kings of the earth and once in verse 6, which is a reference to God's anointed king. Um, obviously, this is this psalm then is going to share some connections with other of the royal psalms. Psalm 2, 8, 10, 18, 20, 21, 24 uh, in the Korah group in Psalms 45, 47, and 48. The poetic imagery of Psalm 61, uh, or the poetic features, I would say, is primarily an imagery. Um, and the imagery that is primarily... God as refuge imagery. So God is described as a higher rock in verse number two. God is described as a shelter in verse three, as a strong tower in verse three, and also the wings as the wings of a, uh, of a mother eagle or owl or chicken or something like that, hen. Um, so you have all these different strong images of refuge and protection and security that are used. And that would be the dominant imagery, um, actually, of the psalm. Again, you do have this subtle death and resurrection imagery or death and life imagery um, in the psalm that we pointed out earlier. Okay, so we're ready to um, work through these verses, um, eight verses. So I'll go ahead and read this psalm. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me 
the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. So the psalm opens in verses 1 and 2 with this prayer for refuge. So we have this request to be heard. Hear my cry, attend unto my prayer. Um, the request and the hope to be heard um, is something used throughout the Psalms. We've seen it a number of times to this point. It's, it is the hope of those who trust in God. They, in other words, they have, there's a implied relationship that there is a reason to expect to be heard. Um, there is grounds to be able to cry out to God in times of distress. Uh, we've seen this in Psalms uh, Psalm 4, verses 1 and 3, Psalm 5 and verse 3, Psalm 6, verses 8 and 9, and on and on and on throughout the Psalms. More recently in the David group, we've seen it in Psalm 54, 2, as well as Psalm 55 and verse number 17. And this is essentially repeated. It is a different word, though both words have to do with hearing or listening. Hear and attend do come from different words, but they're essentially synonymous terms. Verse 2, he refers to crying out from the end of the earth. And the end of the earth refers to the extremity of the earth, far away. So we have this end of the earth um, phrase that is used in Psalm 19 and verse number 4. Uh, we also have it in Psalm 46 and verse number 9. So this this crying out from the end of the earth, um, it contributes to this exile theme, being being far removed, being far away. And that's the sense um, that we get from it. Now, the references to the earth, as far as just the earth, um, they're very common in the messianic or kingly psalms. So this is, this is a pattern. So in other words, it's something um, that we should look for, something that we should pay attention to in such settings. So Psalm 2 8, 10, 18, 21, 22, 24, 45, 47, 48. More recently in Psalm 52, 57, 58, 59, and 60. All these references to the earth, and they're all coupled with these uh, messianic and or kingly royal um, psalms. He says that his heart is overwhelmed, and the word for overwhelmed is oftentimes translated fainted, um, growing weary, Heart refers to the mind. It could include um, the inner being. Like it can refer to the intellect. It can ref can refer to the feelings. And sometimes it it's simply a reference that's referring to the whole inner being of man, sort of that immaterial part of his person. Um, and so the fainting of the fainting of the heart in this instance then. Is, it is an imagery that gives us an idea of life ebbing away. So one that is in distress and in such a state as, as if it is life is simply just slipping away from him um, or flowing away from him. In other words, it's, it's, it's suggestive of death or near death in these terms. The word for rock is sometimes translated as strength, and it refers to a high cliff or a high boulder and being higher, higher than I has the idea of being raised up, being lifted up. So being lifted up onto 
the rock of a high place. So lifted up above the chaotic floods of violence and danger. That would be the imagery. So if you imagine um, someone that is just uh, maybe surrounded and being overflowed by uh, flooding waters and then being plucked out and and set up on a, a high place of safety. So verses three to four, um, David speaks of past deliverance as being the present hope for future deliverance. So he's in a present place of distress and he's looking back on past times of deliverance. And in this present place of distress, that past deliverance has given him hope for future deliverance. So verse 3 speaks, uh, begins this strong sheltering and, and refuge imagery um, after the rock, the, the high rock in, at the end of verse 2. So he speaks of this shelter or this refuge that God has been in times past. And this word refers to a protective shelter as if from a storm, getting maybe getting into a secure shelter out of a, a raging and a violent storm. Uh, we've seen this this term used, uh, Psalm 14 and verse 6. A little more recently, Psalm 46 and verse number 1. Um, now, this word for tower here only appears one other time in the Psalms. And the only other time it appears is in Psalm 48, 12. And there, it is a reference to the towers of Zion. Um, so a place, a complete place of safety and a, a place of protection that obviously David is longing for. Now, this is the only mention of enemy here in verse number three. There's no crisis description. Um, so the, the mention of enemy obviously continues. It fits in with this theme in the Korah and the David Psalms because enemies are very much present. And so we see references to these enemies throughout those Psalms, Psalms 42, 43, 44, 45, 54, 55, 56, and 59. However, there's no crisis description. So even though there's a mention of an enemy, there's there's no description of a crisis and there's no other reference to enemies at all in this psalm. So they the, the enemies and the and the po- the problems posed by the enemies is not focused on in this psalm. It's just simply mentioned. And actually it's it's God as refuge that takes the more prominent position rather than the danger posed by enemies. To abide, which is used here in verse number four, means to take lodging. And tabernacle is a word for tent, which can refer to any sort of a tent. It can refer to the sacred tabernacle of Yahweh with Israel, such as in Psalm 15.1. But it describes a refuge from enemies and a place of worship in Psalm 26 in verse Verses five or Psalm twenty-seven, rather, in verses five and six, this same word that is used for tabernacle or for tent. So, in other words, it's a place of refuge and a place of worship. Um, the word for trust means to take refuge, to to seek refuge. It is often used in covenantal connotation. In other words, it's, it's used in association with those in covenant relationship with Yahweh. It, it is a um, repeated image of being in covenant relationship, coming, having come, coming, having come under His protection, um, having come under His refuge. And so we've seen it throughout the Psalms, going all the way back to Psalm two and verse number twelve, um, when essentially. 
um, all these descriptive judgments. The, um, the anointed son king comes and he's going to break the nations to pieces with this rod of iron. And essentially at the end of this psalm, those nations are counseled to take refuge, to trust in Yahweh, take refuge in him um, before this anointed son king comes in his anger. Um, and we've seen it used also this word trust, so it's repeated throughout the Psalms. Uh, more recently, Psalm 57 and verse number one. Under the under the wings that's referred to in verse number four, uh, the wings obviously that's the imagery of the protection that is afforded um, little birds by the mother bird. Um, it was used in Psalm 17:8 this way, Psalm 36:7, and Psalm 57:1. One difference would be in those places it was referred to as taking refuge under the shadow of the wings. And here it is a different term, the covert, or uh, it, it, it basically refers to the, the secret or a hiding place under um, the wings. In other words, so it's, it's, even, um, it's even strengthened here in its imagery as being a very secure place of protection, secreted away or hidden away so that um, the, the birds would not be seen and therefore be fully protected. Um, so this is strong covenantal imagery. Uh, we noted the use of that in Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 12, um, beginning all the way back in Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 to 11, where this imagery is introduced as Israel being under the covenant protection of God. We come to verses 5 through 7, and this is where we get the prayers for the coming king. So in verse 5, we see this term here, or it's heard here, but it is repeated from verse number 1. Um, here it is given in the past tense that, it, ha- it, it in other words, God has heard. Um, this has taken place. And vows that's referred to are commitments to praise, particularly in terms of thanksgiving for deliverance. And we've seen them used this way in Psalm 22, uh, verse 25. Psalm 50 and verse 14, Psalm 56 and verse number 12. Now, this is the only occurrence of this particular word for heritage that occurs here in verse number 5. This is the only occurrence of this word in the Psalms, but it does mean inheritance or it means to possess, particularly in terms of conquest. And almost every other use of this word in the Old Testament is in reference to the land promised to Israel from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and is some reference to Israel and possession of this land that has been promised. There's only two other uses of this word um, in the Old Testament. That, those references, in, in fact, were Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 12 and 19, chapter 3 and verse 20, um, Joshua chapter 1, verse 15, uh, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, Judges chapter 21, verse 17, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 11, and Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 8. All those are, are uses of this term, and they're all in references to Israel and possession of the land that is promised to Abraham. Now, every other use of this term, which is only twice in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9, but it does there refer to God giving land as a possession to a people. These just happen to be people other than Israel in those two instances. That is all the uses of this term in the Old Testament. And here we have this word is the only use where it occurs in the Psalms. So 
Obviously, this is a reference to the possession of the land. The, you, thou, uh, thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. And so that fearing of thy name, which is a covenantal reference that is is um, used in the law, like in the books of, of Deuteronomy and such. And so, in other words, it's confirmed that this heritage that he's referring to, it is a land possession. It's a land possession, the possession of Israel, um, being planted in their land, which um, also is a reference to um, the covenant with David, which we'll talk more about in a little while. Um, so if, in, in verse 6, as he gets into this prayer, particularly in verses 6 and 7, he prays for the prolonging. And this this word means to add or to increase. And the phrase that's used here would literally be something like, add days to the king to the king's days um something something along that line and essentially it's an an idiom it's it's a a figurative expression that is speaking of long life and what we see in the next verse even everlasting life because it is um his abiding forever that is under consideration um the generations refers to a measure of time such as an age um so add um Add days to the king's days um, for ages and ages is essentially like what that expression would be um, more literally. The king that is mentioned is is Yahweh's king. Uh, Same term that's used in Psalm 2 and verse number 6. Generation again refers to ages. Um, The word for abide here, it is a different word than what was used previously in the psalm. This is a word that means to sit, to be seated. It can refer to sitting for judgment or it can refer to um, being enthroned. And actually this sitting before God clarifies that it does mean to be enthroned. And this king that he's praying for will sit as a king. He he will sit before God. He will rule. Um, and we've seen references to this term being used this way. Psalm 2 and verse 4, Psalm 9 verses 4 and 7, Psalm 29 and verse 10. Psalm 33 and verse 14, and Psalm 47 and verse 8. Now, the word for mercy that is used in the last phrase of verse 7, it is chesed um, in the Hebrew, uh, referring to loyal love. Uh, Most often there's a covenantal association, so we talk about covenantal love or covenantal mercy. Um, Truth is uh, the Hebrew term emet, uh, which which would be faithfulness in, in this sense. Mercy and truth being joined together shall be on the king and preserve him. Uh, this is also used later in the Psalms for, in reference to the king, to the Messiah. Verse number eight is the commitment to praise. And, and this is sort of a, a minor um, lament element in the commitment to praise. Um, singing here, the word sing praise, the word that's, that's used there, um, literally means to strike with the fingers. And so, in other words, it, as in playing of a stringed instrument. And so he will play a stringed instrument. There will be a, you know, that would be the musical accompaniment for the singing of praise to God. This word has been used many times in the psalm before. Um, psalm 7 and verse 17, the first time. More recently, uh, Psalm 57 and verses 7 and 9, and Psalm 59 and verse number 17. Uh, reference to the name and praising of the name includes the attributes and the office. And again, it's a, it's a strong covenantal reference. God's deliverance through the coming king results in the continual paying of vows. 
So I will daily perform or daily. The word for perform actually has the idea of, of pay or um, repay. And essentially he's referring to the offering of praise. So the, the deliverance that comes from the coming king will result in David being delivered from not only his present distress, all of his distresses, such that he's daily offering praise to God. All right, so interpretation. What does Psalm 61 teach? Psalm 61 teaches God's ownership and sovereignty to the ends of the earth. So David is far off from God. He refers to being at the extremity of the earth. Um, and though he's far off from God, he's not beyond God's reach. Or he's not beyond God's help. He's crying out to God from the ends of the earth. And the possessing and the dispossessing of the earth to people is God's choice. And that is a theme um, that comes out of particularly um, the books of Moses and the possession of the land because it's promised to Abraham as well as the dispossessing of the wicked from that land. And so we get references like blotting out their names um, from the earth or from under heaven or, or something of that nature. And we've also um, seen that come up in, in some other Psalms. Psalm 61 teaches that God is a complete refuge for those who trust in him, not a partial refuge, a complete refuge, a complete place of protection, of security, of safety, and of deliverance. So David uses different imagery to repeat and to multiply emphasis on this um, security of God's shelter for those that fear his name. Now, the enemy is mentioned in the psalm but is not focused on, and so that gives us an effect in this psalm of God and his king overwhelming the enemy. So we have just a, just a reference, just a small mention of the enemy. Most of the psalm is taken up with God as refuge and God's coming king who's going to sit before God forever. So in other words, uh, we could say somewhat poetically, we see that God and his king just overwhelm the enemy as they only get one, one scant mention in this psalm. So the Messianic hope of Psalm 61 comes through as it's ultimately God's king that ensures David's deliverance and his continual praise of God. So the mention of the king uh, in verses 6 and 7, the mention of the king uh, are where David in this psalm switches to the third person. And he's praying for the coming king. So the earth is joined with the heritage or possession and king in this psalm. And the earth is also joined as inheritance and possession with the king in Psalm 2. So Psalm 2, verses 2, 6, 8, and 10, we have all of those things being brought together. The nations, we're told in Psalm 2, are given as an inheritance or a possession to the anointed son king who will be, who, who will be set or who will be enthroned on Zion, God's holy hill, in Psalm 2, verses 6 and 8. And again, we talked about these connections with that psalm earlier. David cries out in this psalm from the ends of the earth or the extremity of the earth. And it's actually the ends of the earth where 
God promised to scatter Israel to. So Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 64 or Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse number 33. Because of their, their sins, because of their covenant faithlessness, they're going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. And God is also going to bring judgment on the enemies to the ends of the earth, Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. <clears throat> and he's also going to gather Israel and restore them from where they've been scattered, the ends of the earth, once again. Mercy and truth, we are told in this psalm, will preserve the king. We've seen this reference in uh, Psalm 57, verse 3 and verse 10, this reference of, of mercy and truth. And again, it is echoed in John chapter 1 and verse number 14 in grace and truth full, uh, filling Christ or filling Jesus. And so he is the king who is filled with grace and truth or filled with mercy and truth in the Old Testament reference. Now, the king, we're also told in this psalm, will sit forever referring to the permanent establishment of David's throne and David's seed on that throne. And, of course, those are promises that God made to David in his covenant with David, uh, sometimes referred to as the sure mercies of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 16 and 29. All right, application. How does Psalm 61 speak to us today? I have two of these. Number one, understanding Psalm 61 helps us understand praying from the end of the earth. All right, so we may not literally be at the end of the earth and crying out to God, but the extremity of the earth refers to not being home, being far away where Things are foreign and we are vulnerable. And in fact, that's the way that God describes that kind of exile that Israel is going to experience. They're going to be removed from the land. They're going to be among strange peoples and strange languages. They're going to be, um, to be oppressed by them because they're going to be vulnerable. All right, so while there is a very, the very real meaning and application to that exile and David looking forward to the end of that particular exile, we can also relate and we can certainly apply this ourselves being in, um, being in um, a, a land where we are described like in Hebrews 11 as strangers and pilgrims. And we are in a land though, though we are, Maybe we're close to our homes, um, but still yet, there's just, there's just a lot about the world that feels strange. And we can see in the culture around us, it's not a, a biblical worldview that is the norm and that holds sway. And it's not to God's word that people in general are turning for answers, and that's not where their answers come from or how that the culture and the laws and the norms of society around us, they're not shaped by God's word. Well, these things are very strange to the children of God, to those who, who have taken hope in God, taken refuge in him. These things are very strange and very foreign to us. And oftentimes we are vulnerable and oppressed. So it helps us to understand that that in, in many ways we are far off. In many ways we are at the extremities 
of the earth, but God is never far off. And so David cried to God and took shelter under hiding under God's wings, even though he is far off. Number two, understanding Psalm 61 helps us understand that God is truly that complete refuge. So whether our distress comes from storms, whether our distress comes from trials, whether it comes from challenges, or whether it comes from enemies, um, whether it comes from persecutions, um, or whether it comes from God's wrath, in other words, in terms of salvation, God is a complete refuge. For those that trust in Him, we are completely safe from God's wrath of judgment. We trust in Him. That means no matter what may be our temporal situation and circumstance, we are completely safe from God's wrath. We will not experience His wrath. So God is the only safe place, and God is where we are directed to run to. God is where we are directed to stay under. He's the one that we are directed to trust in, and He is a complete refuge and a complete safe place for those who fear Him and put their trust in Him. 